I encourage you to turn to Jonah chapter 2. We're going to work our way through this uh, short chapter. And uh, for the last few weeks, we've been looking at Jonah and um, taking a good deep dive into the book. And I hope at some point in the couple of months that we are looking at this that you get a chance just to read the whole book. It's in my Bible, it's this big, you know, just sit down and give it a full reading from beginning to end. It'll probably take you 10 or 15 minutes, but um, we're getting a glimpse into um, a couple things. One is obviously just the character of God, getting to see what God is like as he interacts with Jonah and the different nations, the, the mission of Jonah himself. Um, but we're also getting a glimpse into Jonah, right? That's part of the advantage of seeing this uh, story and reading and thinking about it. Um, I'm discovering, and I think you know most of us would if we read these things, is that the same inclinations, the same problems, the same struggles that Jonah has often show up in my own life. And probably the things that we're going to talk about this week, uh, today, will also... Um, even show up in your week in the next seven days, literally. And it just is striking to see how much um, these truths come up over and over again, especially when we're aware of them. And so today we're looking at chapter two, which is this um, prayer from Jonah, right? It's this extremely um, personal revelation of his own heart. And it's a time that is um, difficult, obviously, and challenging for Jonah. Just think about the circumstances, right? Verses 1 through 6 is this time where he is essentially praying to God. And so we're going to look at three things. We're going to see that Jonah cried out to God. Then we're going to look that Jonah looked to God. And then the third one is we're going to see that Jonah believed God. Okay, these three things. Jonah cried out to God. Jonah looked to God. And third, Jonah believed in God. And we want to learn lessons from Jonah because the Bible is full of characters who are full of problems. So we are welcome company to learn from them because they are just like us in so many ways. So Jonah cried out to God. Look at verses 1 through 6. We won't read them all here. But this is Jonah's cry for help. Now, you only cry for help really when you need help, right? If someone were to like cry out for help right here, right now in our midst, we'd probably think that's a little strange because there's only certain times and places where you should cry out for help. I remember when we were parents and our kids were younger and, you know, they'd scream for something and we'd try to tell them like, don't scream or cry, help me unless you really need help, right? Because like, I want to know, is this going to be a real one or not a real one? And so... This is Jonah's cry for help, and this is a real cry for help. And look at verse 2. Let's just see this one. It says this, that Jonah cried out this. It says, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. So like I said, verses 1 through 6 are all uh, Jonah's cry for help. But verse 2, interestingly, if you look at it, is actually uh, happening in the water. 
right? The, the sailors have thrown Jonah into the water. And verse 2, though he's saying it from the belly of the whale, is actually happening. He's recounting what has happened to him. And he is, in that moment, um, being overtaken by waves. Don't know if he was a good swimmer or if they chucked a life preserver with him and said, hey, good luck, um, or if he is just sinking down. But he is in a moment of great struggle, right? He is in a moment of huge fear. I don't know if you've ever been in a, in a lake or in a boat that is crashed. You don't want to get in the water, right? In Zambia, we experienced that. You don't want to get in the water. It's the worst thing. And yet here is Jonah. He is surrounded by waves and he is going down. If you look at the language in these first verses, it's actually language that is like, has like descent to it, right? It's got the verses actually sound like he's going deeper and deeper. So if you look at verse 3, it says that you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the sea. And then verse 5 says that the waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. And then verse 6 says, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. So it's like this, this language is like of him going down, down, down. And the despair, you can, you can actually hear the despair that's in his language, the difficulty that he's facing. And David actually has a similar psalm in Psalm 88. David recounts a similar experience. And, and obviously he's not going and being thrown into water. But David's psalm in Psalm 88, and it actually goes through most of the psalm, but we just don't have time to look at it. But look at verses 1 through 4. David writes this. O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry, for my soul is full of troubles, and my life draws near to Sheol. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength. And verse 7, and I didn't include it in the, in the slides here, but it's, verse 7 says, Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. This is David's experience as well, is really similar to Jonah, is that he's feeling like he is at the bottom of himself. He is feeling helpless. He is looking to God. He's crying out to God. And in the midst of this, in the midst of like crying out to God for these circumstances that honestly Jonah kind of wanted them, right? Jonah was like, I don't want to go to Nineveh. I'm going to go to Tarshish. So this is where the, the ride has led him to. And probably many of us can identify with not knowing when trouble is around the corner, whether it's because of choices that we make that we think are better choices or they're just the circumstances of life. They come upon us. Um, we, we can never guess when the next crisis is coming our way. But here we see that Jonah is in his crisis and in the midst of it, he doesn't blame someone else. He actually says that this is God that is doing this. So he doesn't say, okay, it was me that made a bad choice and now this is where I belong, even though that was the truth. He doesn't say that, okay, it was the sailors actually that they discovered that it was me and they threw me into the water, even though that's exactly what happened. We looked at that last week. But what does he say in verse 3? He says in verse 3 that you cast me into the deep. 
Or we can say you did this with a grateful heart. But let me, let me just add this, that this can be a difficult truth for us to grasp, right? And this is where God is patient with us. God, even though we don't see it in the midst, even though at times we may clench our fists and think, God, is this you? You are actually part of this thing that's going on in my life? That God is still patient with us even when we are doubting and are struggling with it. It made me think actually of a movie that we uh, tried to watch with our kids recently, but they didn't like it and there were too many parts to forward. It was Forrest Gump. I don't know if you've seen that movie before. Okay, it just was not a hit in our household. But if you've seen Forrest Gump, there is a character named Lieutenant Dan, right? And this is, he's a, a major or something uh, over Forrest. And there's a point in the story where uh, Lieutenant Dan loses both of his legs and he's sent home back to America and he ends up almost being homeless. He's just struggling with life. He's living on the streets and he and Forrest meet up again. And Forrest Gump is sitting in his apartment and Lieutenant Dad, Dan asks him, Forrest, have you found God yet? And Forrest says, what do you mean? Well, Lieutenant Dan says, every time I go to the veterans meetings, they ask me, have I found God? Have I found Jesus, he says. Because he says, they promise me that if I find Jesus, that someday I'll be able to walk with him in the kingdom of God. And in the movie, in that moment when Lieutenant Dan thinks about the promise of walking with God, all it does is make him angrier and bitter at God. He's not able to handle it. And it's, it's not like uh, Forrest Gump is a Christian movie. But later in the movie, we see actually that Lieutenant Dan over many years has, has come to grasp the thing that has happened to him. And he is more seasoned and he's married at the time and his life is more stable. Over time, he's come to discover that this thing was not meant to break him. And now he by no means becomes a Christian. It's not a Christian movie. But it reminds us as believers that when we look back, and those of us, and now I'm starting to be able to say this with more, I've got four decades under my belt. But as we look back now, we see that it's actually in the most difficult hardest moments that we grow the closest and have deepest relationship with God. It is in those hard times that God teaches us some lessons that we would never learn in the good times. And so here we see that Jonah is growing closer in his trust with God and in his deepest, most difficult moment, he prays and he cries out to God and wants to be close to him. So what does he do? What is the result of crying out to God? Well, look at verse 7 and 8. We see that Jonah looks to God. Verse 7 says this, When my life was fainting away, so here he is again, almost like feeling like his life is done. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. For those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love, Jonah here is what we would call like at rock bottom, right? He says in verse 7, he's like, this could be it. This could be my last moment. 
Um, we know that it's not because the prayer is recorded. Okay, we know that it's not. But in that moment, this is what he's thinking. This is the end. I, my life is fainting away. Maybe he's going in and out of consciousness even in this moment as this prayer is coming to his mind. But his moment of self-determination is coming and it's being laid before him. And this is good for us to see because we also, all of us, live in a world we've We've actually been sold this view of self-determination, right? That we can actually determine our future and that if we're, you know, generally nice and if we work really hard, we can have success in life. And, and you know, since about World War II till, till this pandemic, it's been relatively smooth, especially for us here in Canada. We like, we live in an amazing country and all of us, are probably in like the top 3% of the world in terms of wealth. And so we've been sold this good of like self-determined effort gets you good things. And yet here we sit in the middle of a pandemic. And again, because we live in Canada, because we have amazing wealth, um, we don't feel the weight of everything that's happening in the world. But we know that within like a matter of days, our country was you know, shut down essentially. We all had to stay home. Um, for some that came with amazing benefits, for many that came with struggle and hardship. And it reminded us, or I think one of the things that we should take away, especially as believers, is that we are not in control. That God is the one who is in control of all things. And we can't manipulate all the circumstances to make them work. And, and we can't do that in terms of our life and our relationships with others, but we also can't do it with God. Um, Tim Keller in The Prodigal Prophet, which I think we quote almost every week here, um, partially because it's a great little book on Jonah. If you're interested in reading a simple little uh, book on Jonah, Tim Keller does an amazing job here. But he says this, Our culture, again, does not help us here. For, for it is dominated not only by therapy, but also by technology. Even if we accept responsibility for wrongdoing, we believe we can fix this. The most common way that we try to do it is to apply technology of morality. We believe that with hard work and fastidious religious observation, we can repair our relationship with God and even put him in a position where he can't say no to us. So when we look to God, and when Jonah looks to God here, he sees, man, I've come to the end of myself, actually. I've come to the bottom. I've come to the place where I know that I can't manipulate my circumstances. I'm not going to Tarshish anymore. I'm in the water. And I can't manipulate my relationship with God. There's nothing that I can do. And it's at the bottom of yourself where you, you come to those realizations. And, and what Jonah is experiencing here is this process of being humbled before God. Practicing humility before God. And humility is hard for all of us. Amen? Humility is hard for all of us. It is so challenging. This week, I, I just happened to be watching a music video. I never watch music videos, but this week I was watching one. Um, and it was an interesting video where it showed a couple that was struggling in their relationship. They're just kind of sitting on a bed in a hotel room and you can just tell from their faces that they've just had like some sort of fight or something. And the whole video is this walking back of trying to build the relationship back. And it shows the couple 
one after the other, trying to make a little move here, trying to start a conversation, a little, you know, touch of the hand here, trying to, in moments, um, get this relationship back on the tracks. And as I finished that video, I thought those moments that they're just capturing in this four minute music video are the most difficult moments that most of us have to face within a given week. The moment to repair a little relationship. The moment to say that you were wrong. Any kind of moment of humility, or maybe I'm the only one, is a moment that is extremely difficult and hard to do. And so here we see that Jonah is, is brought to that, is brought to this uh, bending of his knee through some really difficult circumstances. And it was obviously the only way that God could actually get his attention so that he would listen to him. And so Jonah is humbled. And I don't know what it would take to humble you. And maybe you think it was like this was just one moment. This was one thing you had to do. You had to humble yourself before God. Maybe you were like, hey, I went to Conestoga Bible Camp. I did that already. I'm good. Or maybe you got saved as a, a teenager or as an adult or you had one big moment in your life. But what we see here is that Jonah actually, one who knew God, knew his grace, has to do this again. Humbling yourself is not something that you do just once. It's something that we do over and over and over again. And it, it doesn't have to happen right when we're at the bottom. We don't have to wait till we're right at the bottom of the problem. In the moments of life, in the moments of Monday through Sunday, there will be opportunities for us to humble ourselves. And the lesson that we can glean from Jonah is that, man, we don't want to wait till we're at the bottom, right? We don't want to wait till we're at the bottom of the sea. What does he say here with like um, reeds like wrapped around his neck? Have you ever felt that before in, in, a, in a difficulty, in a challenge? And, and what is, the, what is the, the opportunity that is before you? What is the challenge that you are facing where God is actually trying to humble you in that area? It may be uh, the, the lust of money or, or getting success, or it may be the lust towards sex or something, or it might be the broken relationship that you have, or, or maybe a, a little problem that you just, it's small enough now that you can kind of keep kicking it down the line, but you know eventually it's going to come back. And we don't need to wait till it's such a big thing that it is like we're at the bottom of the sea. God is calling us, just like he's calling Jonah, to humble ourselves before him and look to him. And so what does Jonah look to? Jonah actually, in his desperation, in his cry for help, he looks towards something specific. Look at verse 7. He says, When my life was fainting away, in my prayer it came to you into your holy temple. And also verse 4, I don't think I included this in the slide. Verse 4 says, Yet I shall look again upon your holy temple. Like his mind goes to God's temple. Is he just interested in architecture? He just loves the look of the building? No, he's not interested in architecture in that moment. He's actually thinking about what the temple represents. He's thinking in that moment about the sacrificial system, about families, the nation coming with animals, 
end. It says in Leviticus 1 verse 4 that they would actually lay their hand upon the head of the burnt offering upon the animal and it should be accepted for them to take atonement for them. You imagine that image of bringing an animal, a spotless lamb, laying your hand on it and saying, this animal is taking my place. This is what's going through Jonah's mind. Or he's thinking about the, the presence of God in the temple, right? The holy of holies, the place where God comes down, where God comes down to be with his people. So this sin that separates us from God, God makes a way for us to be back. But not only that God makes a way, but God actually wants to be with us. He wants to tabernacle with us. And Jonah doesn't even fully see what we can appreciate now, that Christ is the ultimate fulfillment of the sacrificial system, right? Christ has covered it all. And that Christ tabernacled among us, that Christ came to be physically with us, that God would actually provide for us and that God would actually want to be with us. So as he looks to these two things, we should be reminded that the sacrificial system is this moment of uh, closeness, that the Holy of Holies is a moment of nearness, right? We think that when we come to God in humility, or often I, I think of this as well, that when I come to God with my weaknesses, with my, with my troubles, he's going to recoil, he's going to back up. But what Jonah is actually looking to, and not just, you know, looking can make it sound like he's just thinking about these things, but what he's actually looking to with trust and with hope is that God actually still wants to be near to him. Like imagine that in his running away, in his, his attempted rejection of God's plan for his life, that God actually wants to be near to him. God wants to be close to him. These are the thoughts that are coming to Jonah's mind. And so this, man, this should be a hope for us. This should um, encourage us that in our deepest, darkest moments, that the God of the universe has covered our guilt and that he wants to be near to us. He wants to be close to us and be in relationship with us. So Jonah cried to God. Jonah looked to God. And then finally, Jonah believed in God. Verses 9 and 10 say this. This is right at the end of his prayer. He says, But I with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out of the dry land. It's a good verse to memorize, right? 2.10. Um, Jonah is released from what looks like his prison, right? But it actually ends up being this miraculous, crazy means of God's mercy and grace towards him. And so Jonah ends his verse by, or ends his prayer by really summarizing what the whole Bible is trying to communicate from beginning to end. The whole Bible essentially could be summed up in this line, salvation belongs to the Lord, that God is working out his salvation through all things. And Charles Spurgeon says this when uh, talking about Jonah in this section here. He says, Jonah, or he 
learned this good sentence of theology. He learned this sentence of theology in a strange college. It was not gleaned from a Bible college or a good book, but rather this truth has been chiseled into his heart from his own traumatic experience. Utterly unable to save himself, Jonah had come to see that from beginning to end, saving the perishing was God's unique work. This is something that only God could save him from. This moment in his life, and God was gracious and merciful to him. And this is a message that, I don't know if this happens to you, but this is a message that is easily forgotten. Especially when we're in the midst of life, when life gets busy, or there's different challenges, or we're just forgetful. I know I have a very forgetful memory. Everything has to be written down. But these are truths that we forget, and yet we're called here to remember them. That's why the scriptures like tell them to us over and over and over again in different stories and in different ways. We're called to remember these things. So how do we do that? Three really quick ways to remember these truths. First is to read God's word. Okay, you've heard it a couple times. Harold was talking about reading through that portion of Isaiah. I was encouraging you to read through the portion of Jonah. Read through the word of God. Psalm 119, what does it say? Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. This is what the word of God does. It shines light on things that are confusing in this world. It shines light on things that we struggle with. And so we read the word of God. Secondly, we trust God's character. Reading these verses from Lamentations, it says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Man, if God was just a, a God to be appeased, like he was sovereign and in control, but he was just this wrathful, angry God who no matter what we do is just out to get us, man, we would be afraid of his sovereignty. We'd be afraid of getting it wrong. We've got to kind of toe the line. But here we see that when we find out who this God is, is does he have anger towards sin? Absolutely. Do we have anger towards sin? Yeah, it causes a lot of destruction and difficulty. But when we see him, we see that his mercies are new. That he's compassionate. He's gracious. And then the third thing is that we believe God's son. So Matthew 12, 40 says, For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So there's this parallel between Jonah and Jesus. And Jonah is this faithless, running away prophet. And Jesus is a faithful with intention walking into difficulty. Jonah is struggling for his life and God saves him. Jesus willingly gives up his life for us. Jesus is the better Jonah. And so we are called as believers to, to look to Christ, to believe in God, just like what Jonah did here at the end of his prayer. You know, the main point of Jonah is for us to understand the mercy and the grace of God. And in Luke 15, and maybe in the coming weeks we'll have some time to look at Luke 15 a little bit more, but Luke 15 is the story of the prodigal son. And the prodigal son is also a story that, that parallels Jonah's story. 
Because in the prodigal son, you've got the young son who is like, Dad, give me all my inheritance now. I'm just going to take it and go and live my life, do what I want to do. And he, his father gives it to him. And the son goes and he lives his affluent life. And it doesn't take long. And all of his money is gone. All of his friends are gone. And he, like Jonah, comes to the end of himself when he's eating the same food that the pigs are eating. And he thinks, maybe I can go back and just be a servant in my father's house. Maybe, maybe he'll let me serve, but then at least I know I'll kind of have food and I'll have some shelter. And we see in the story that he comes home and, and his reception is the complete opposite of what he expected. And when it comes to our own lives, when it comes to our humility we need to have this picture in our mind of this father who is welcoming home his son. And it says this in Luke, it says, But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. This is the reception that we can expect this is maybe the one that we forget, maybe the one that we distrust sometimes. But we're reminded again that the reception of, of Jonah was mercy, that the reception of the son who took his inheritance and ran away was mercy, and the reception that we will experience as believers when we come to Christ is one of mercy, compassion, and love, and a, a father's arms reaching around us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for these uh, precious stories, God. Thank you for uh, how they reveal your faithfulness and your love and your compassion. Even in the midst of difficulties, in the midst of hard storms, Lord, you are a good and faithful, loving Father. Lord, remind us of that. I, I pray for anyone, Lord, who's going through uh, a storm right now, who is at uh, a different depth of water, Lord. I pray for the, the storms that will be coming this week, God. May you remind us of your goodness and your love towards us. And uh, may we put our trust and our hope in you. We thank you for Jesus, who is the better Jonah, who is the faithful Jonah, and that his resurrection changes everything for us and for everybody in this town and for the whole planet. And so just remind us this week again of that great truth. In Jesus' name, amen.